Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. mentioned too was uh, the when the hearts are here we're going to actually do a Q&A with them um, that Sunday morning so we'll have the Saturday night service but we'll have a Sunday morning uh, Q&A during our 10 a.m. service so we'll be getting some information out to you soon where you can uh, go on our website and submit questions if you'd like to to them. Uh, Jeremy Hart I think has been traveling as an evangelist for uh, well since he was in his late teens so um by himself, uh, just traveling since right out of high school. So um, we, we'd like to just talk to him, have a Q&A with him and kind of him and his wife and talk to him about life on the road and uh, kind of their role as evangelist and what that's like uh, coming church to church. It's obviously a lot different than staying like in an established church, but kind of moving around a lot. So we're going to talk to them about that and just open up and, and hopefully hear some insight on, into to their day-to-day life. Um, so keep that in mind as well. Uh, but as uh, tonight, we're going to talk about uh, preparing for growth. Um, one, of, uh, one of Jesus' first commands to man was to multiply. And if we look in Genesis 1, verse 27 through 29. Genesis 1, 27 through 29. I'll give you a second to get there. Well, first of all, how many of you feel depleted tonight from this sun and this heat? (laughs) I'm feeling drained, Um, but it is amazing when you get in the presence of God, just how you, it kind of lifts your spirits and you feel, you feel good, you feel better than you did when you were standing outside in the 100 degree heat. Um, But in Genesis 1, 27 through 29, it says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish. That word replenish means to restock or refresh the earth, and subdue or manage, control it, and have dominion or control over the fish of the sea. Can I hear an amen, Raymond? Have dominion or control over the fish? We wish. A lot of times that doesn't happen. Uh, the fish of the sea or over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Uh, side note, speaking of having dominion over the fish of the sea, pastor this week caught a 30-pound halibut uh, in Alaska. <laughs> so I'm sure that was a bucket list item uh, checked off his list. Uh, but uh, having dominion or control over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. So, in this passage, uh, 
he tells man that God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. And then not only does he give this, you know, gives that command, but then he also, just in the few verses after that, talks about this kind of multiplication process, not only in humankind, but also in the things that we create, the things that we use our hands to, to till the ground and create, um, to replenish, refresh the earth, subdue or control, uh, control it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air. Um, and then what's amazing, and only God could do this, is that he created these things that we're supposed to manage and control and multiply and all this stuff uh, contain seeds in it which multiply the fruit and vegetables and things that we plant. So amazing that God in his forethought and knowledge, I mean, how many of us creating fruit would create fruit and call it a day with no seeds in it? I just created something amazing, but it doesn't have anything that can be useful past its life. Uh, I think most of us in our just finite mindset would, would think like, I'm going to create something amazing but I, I don't care about the future. I don't care about tomorrow. A lot, I mean, we have that thought process anyway um, with a lot of different things. It's just right here in the right here and now and nothing really beyond tomorrow or beyond any of that. Um, I think that there's even, just from a financial standpoint, there's uh, statistics on that about how little we actually save uh, as human beings. And obviously part of that may be <laughs> that uh, the system that we live in is complex and hard to live in. Uh, that could be very much the case. Uh, inflation right now, all those things like are factors in why we can't save a whole lot of money. Um, but uh, there is our statistics out there. I don't have them in front of me, but about you know the, the just the small amount that we actually save each individual family. You know, low bank account numbers, all those things. Um, and so it, it's kind of our nature to be living in the moment, living for today, living for now. It's why fast food is big. It's why microwaves are invented. We live in the now. Um, and we've heard those analogies before. But, but God, in his forethought and knowledge, designed us to multiply, but then also gave us all these examples of things that we interact with day to day that give us real-time physical evidence of multiplication. Um, and so it's amazing that uh, he would create that herb bearing seed, uh, these plants that bear seeds that can uh, replenish and grow and, and, and multiply. Um, it says that uh, which, in verse 29, uh, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. So again, um, amazing that you can simply, you don't have to have a tree, you don't have to have a vine, you don't have to have anything. You can have a single apple pulled from a tree and you can start an orchard of your own. Amazing that God would do that and, and give us that as a, a clear-cut and clear cut example of multiplication. Um, so within the first few moments of man's life on earth, he was given a proven strategy for growth. Uh, he was given a quick lesson um, in multiplication. Even the body itself is a miracle in multiplication. Our bodies 
are made up of trillions of cells, uh, tissue, uh, a group together to form tissue and organs. Uh, genes inside the, the nucleus of each cell tell it when, uh, when to work, uh, when to grow, work, divide, and die. Uh, normally our cells grow, our cells follow these instructions and we stay healthy, but when uh, genes work properly, they tell cells when it's the right time to grow and the right time to divide. When cells divide, they make exact copies of themselves. One cell divides, divides into two identical cells, and two cells divide into four, and so on. So uh, that happens a lot when we cut ourselves and when we regrow skin and, and all those things happen. Um, there's this multiplication process that's happening in our bodies. Uh, some of us multiply more than others as soon as we eat canes. Um, uh, the scale tells me. Um, but cancer, uh, cancer forms, uh, cancer cell doesn't act like a normal cell. Uh, it starts to grow and divide out of control instead of dying when it should. They also don't mature as much as normal cells, so they stay immature. Um, although they are many, there are many different uh, types of cancer, uh, they all start because of cells that are growing abnormally and out of control. So cancer can start in any cell in the body. Um, but the natural, as we know, always mirrors the spiritual. And we saw that exactly in that first passage of scripture, that multiplication in terms of uh, being good disciples and making other disciples is a multiplication process, but it is shown in the physical world. <clears throat> um, in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham and Sarah were promised a son, and it sounded uh, so crazy to them, and we all know the story that she laughed about it. She actually laughed when told that she was going to, to bear a son. Genesis 22, uh, 15 through 18. Genesis 22, 15 through 18. It says, um, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn says the Lord, because you have done this saying and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham's voice voice, uh, or sorry, his faith combined with his actions and obedience multiplied what was once an impossible single son into a generation, a great nation, unable to be contained or counted. It's the multiplication process. Um, Galatians 6, 7 through 9, it says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. How many of you right now are reaping the seeds you sowed this spring? You're starting to see it. Maybe the groundhog's got to it. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe you've even depleted it. Maybe, I mean, there's times you, you go and you pull and pull and pull and they just keep coming and you can't keep up with them. Some of them die on the vine because you can't keep up with them. Um, so... Many of us are at that point uh, in, or, or maybe it's possible that 
you are reaping the fact that you did not sow any seeds this year. And so um, I didn't sow a single seed. So, <laughs> so I have, but I've reaped a lot. <laughs> Thank you for everybody pulling your weight. If we were like a, you know, a crude tribe, I would be like the, the useless graphic designer. And uh, I could like sort everything out and keep it contained. Um, but um, so it says, uh, be not deceived, God is not mocked for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. That, that's, um, that's tough because, you know, like when we look at this, we can see corruption all around us. That's um, easy to see. But everlasting life is something that, I mean, in the, in the here and now we don't see it. Uh, we have this promise of that. Um, and so we are trying to sow in the spirit and all of these things. But it's, it's something that takes maybe a while before we ever even come to realize it. Um, and it's, it's this life of faith where we're constantly living for the hope or the belief that something is going to happen in the midst of this. It's almost as if we are preparing for something we, we just keep out going out there preparing, uh, working the ground, doing the, the work, and not really seeing the results yet. But, um, but as we've talked about, and we've talked about this recently, that we do bear fruit. Uh, we do start to see things in our lives. And so, you know, I think it's pretty easy to determine the difference between those that reap in the flesh and what their life becomes. Um, and sadly, it, it's really not something to celebrate. It's not something to be excited about or be like a told you so attitude about. It's really, and I, I, I see this a lot, you see it a lot now because of social media just amplifies everything in people's lives. But just the, the repercussions of people's lives and the things that just keep reoccurring and keep happening and the, the constant lessons having to be learned unfortunately is on display for everybody to see and it is sad and, and I think I believe we need to pray for them, for them and, and reach out to them as the body of Christ a lot of them being prodigals being those that have walked away from God and you're kind of having to watch it in real time them trying to live life on their own and it's really it, it's really discouraging and sad to see um, but we as the body have to be there and be strong and I'm thankful for the body of Christ all of you being here tonight, faithful, consistent, um, I believe that speaks a lot more than you know to the people around you. Uh, there's a lot of people that, uh, yeah, when they first leave, they may uh, feel this like liberating feeling of like, now I can go do whatever I want and live how I want and all this stuff. But you'll see over time, it's the nature of sowing and reaping. It, it will come back. And I, but I believe that through your example, every one of you here tonight, your example as Christians, as children of God, you are um, that standard to, for them to see and for them to, to watch your life. So thank you. Thank you for, for living that out. Um, and so we, it says here that they will of the flesh reap corruption and of the spirit reap life everlasting. So we're, we're farming and on on faith, on things we can't see sometimes. Uh, sometimes we don't even plant seeds because we don't believe it'll work. 
maybe you've been burned before. Uh, maybe last year's crops didn't turn out like they like you planned, and you know we get in our minds that it's just not going to work. I'm not good at it. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. And that that can also be true of soul winning, witnessing to people, talking to people. The first person that turns you down, you feel like ah, you know, no one wants to hear what I have to say. Um, but keep trying it. Keep doing it. I believe that it, you will see fruit from it. Matthew uh, 28, 19 through 20 uh, says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe that all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Um, so we are, we are called to go. And we're going to talk a little bit in just a moment about what a, what a dying church looks like. Um, but that, right there, the, the Great Commission to go into all the world, teach all nations, that is what we're supposed to be doing. That, that, that really, I know that we focus in a lot on that scripture, but that kind of just summarizes what God's plan is for us as individuals and as a body of Christ, to go out and teach all nations. Uh, part of that is right here in the local church. Part of that is sending missionaries out uh, to go into all nations. Thank God for missionaries going to places where there are no churches or there are very few churches um, and doing that. I, I heard this week of a guy that is coming out of Bible college and he does uh, sound uh, sound work. He does works on sound systems, and he was talking about how all these uh, all these superintendents from Australia and all these other countries have been reaching out to him, saying, "We need you to come and help us set up sound systems here." And and I was like, it, "That's amazing! Like that's something that probably missionaries would love and need to have uh, because they're just struggling to get a service started, get things up and going." But to have someone that has that as a ministry to go uh, to places and help that literally amplify the gospel is just amazing. Um, so what, is, uh, what does that word faith mean to you? Think about that word faith for a moment. Um, you ever seen the trust falls? I don't, I've never been able to do that. Just trust people enough. to <laughs> Maybe because I lived live with Titus for so long. I just don't trust people that <laughs> much. I think if Titus said he would catch me, I would not believe him at all. <laughs> uh, so complete trust or confidence in someone or something. What is faith? So that, that's kind of the definition of it. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And, you know, that I, I think that word confidence is important because um, th there's a lot of times that we say we believe something but we don't have a lot of confidence in, in saying that. And, um, and I think that's built up over time, that, that level of confidence. I, I don't think that we come out of the gate with just great, mighty faith like some that we've seen in the Bible. Uh, it's, confidence is built up over time. God will show you something that will build your trust and confidence in him so that the next time you have a little bit more faith than you had before. And um, I think all of us can look back at our lives now and say, uh, yeah, I, I truly believe God can do it because I've had moments where God came through and did it. Uh, but we didn't get here overnight. And um, thank God for those that, uh, 
get in the church and they're they're on fire for God and they 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 do believe it, but sometimes you can see that trajectory drop off when things don't go right. But for the the seasoned saint, you see that that continue continued steady uh, increase of faith as God has continued to to just come through. So, um, but in this walk of faith, uh, it, it's more than just just believing. It's more than just saying, I have complete faith. So we have to walk in complete faith, but in complete preparation as well. James 2, 14 through 18 says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, but... Be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, with doth it, it what doth it profit? That is a that's a pretty tough passage of scripture. To to say that um, if someone is in need and destitute of faith, to uh, and and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed, be I, you know, we, we could even see someone on the street, for instance, and just say, oh, God, touch them right now. Just I pray that you'd help them find shelter tonight, whatever. Um, I'm not saying we have to, like, rearrange our lives to invite them into our own homes and do, you know, like, uh, put your family at risk or something like that. But if we do have the means to do something about it, and all we say is, oh, just I hope that that happens, right? hope that this is taken care of. Um, that that scripture is tough. That's a tough scripture to read, even for me, to read that and, and think of all the times that I've done that. I've just said, I hope that that happens. I, I hope that you get help. I hope that this and that. Go in peace. Be warmed. Be filled. But I don't do anything about it. And, and that is, it, it's tough to hear. So even so, in uh, 17, even so faith if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show, ye, show thee my faith by my works. So faith tells you to prepare accordingly. When you believe wholeheartedly that something is going to happen, you start to make plans for it. And that could be any range of things. Uh, you believe wholeheartedly that a storm is coming, you'll prepare for it, even though we know the, uh, the um, meteorologists get it wrong a lot. They somehow get it right when it's really hot out. They're like, it's going to be 110. They're right every time. I wish for once they were wrong about that. I've, I've always thought about that. Like, they're, they're wrong so much, but they say it's going to be 110. Maybe it'll be 87, you know. Um, no such luck, though. Um, so when you believe wholeheartedly that something is going to happen, it's just, it's our human nature that we just prepare. We start making plans for it. Uh, how many of you believe that, like, uh, you're going to have a great weekend and you're making plans for your weekend and then something happens, just totally throws it off? Um, but when we believe wholeheartedly that something's going to happen, we, do st we start to make plans for it. Um, when you 
when you're unprepared logistically, you can still prepare in faith. And so um, I believe it's a little bit of both. Uh, so when you think of growth in our church, and we've talked about this before, um, thinking bigger than this kind of small church mentality. We've had to change the way that we do things in our leadership team, things that we do in our church, based off of trying not to think so small. Uh, that could be that, um, you know, we, I know at one time we've been, we're still trying to work on this, get uh, guides by the doors to greet people when they come in and all of this stuff. Um, and we're going to get there and we're going to get that set up again. I believe in faith, um, and I haven't done much to prepare for it lately, but I'm, I need to. Uh, but having people at the doors, we, we may not have 30 guests come in every service, but having someone there is taking us outside of the mindset of that small church mentality. That just, ah, uh, someone, you know, if we do have a guest come in, that's great, you know, uh, but it's like we're surprised when someone shows up. We shouldn't live our lives surprised that guests are coming. Um, we should believe, because we pray for it and we plant seeds all week, we should wholeheartedly believe someone's coming this week. And, um, and I believe that God will honor that faith and that work that we're doing as well. Um, and so Jesus gives an example of that preparedness or being prepared in faith. Uh, John 6, 1 through 15 says that after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did, on them that were diseased. Jesus' ministry had started to reach a larger audience to the point it was becoming hard to manage. Uh, it was becoming to get out of control. It was, I can imagine you, you start, you just walk out of nowhere and you start healing people. You're going to get a following of people following you around, wanting to know what this is all about. And so his ministry had started to grow. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there, there he sat with his disciples. And uh, the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And Jesus, um, when Jesus then filled, or sorry, lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? So Jesus was asking a rhetorical question here. As we have read this passage, we know that he had something else in mind, had something else in his thought process. But he wanted to ask this question, just kind of put it out there and see what the response was, already knowing what he was going to do. Um, he wanted to teach a lesson here on faith in the midst of the unexpected. And this he said in verse 6, and this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And there it says it. He knew what he was going to do, but he asked this question ahead of time. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. So not even a decent amount of bread is going to be able to be enough for these, this crowd. When all we see is what is right in front of us, we quickly see the limitations. When we look at what's right here, we quickly see it's not, it's not possible. I've done this a lot with... Uh, the fluctuations of the ups and downs of Landmark over the years. I've done that where I, I, you get in a mindset of like, in order for this to work, there's going to have to be some things that happen. And I kind of like line it up for God for him, you know, so he, 
he knows what, what needs to happen here. Um, but no, we mentally do that. We, we, we think like, okay, here's what's got to happen. This, there's not much wiggle room here. This has to happen for this church to grow and be successful and, and, and to, to live up to its full potential. It, it's, and a lot of it's based off of like individual people that uh, need to do this, need to do that, and we need to start this program, and we need to start this, and we need to stop doing this, and all of this stuff. And we, we just like talk through it all the time and all the things that, that have to happen for this to work right. And so, again, when we look at what's right in front of us, we look at it and think, it's just not possible. There's no, we, we see all these limitations. There's, there's no way that we can get from point A to point B. And so that's what he's teaching them in this passage. One of his disciples in verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves. I love in this passage that it was, not only did it come from a, uh, someone who had very little, but it also came from a child. And just the, the contrast of that, seeing that, that, um, that the difference there, that all these, all these men of, I mean, these are fishermen, these are, these are men that work with their hands and they're fixers, they're doers, they know what they're doing. They're probably planners, especially being with Jesus. They've, they've planned things out, they've done a lot, they've helped him in a lot of different ways. They've had to manage crowds at times. Um, and all of these things, they're trying to reason it out. Well, this, I mean, even if we had this much bread, it wouldn't be enough. And then along comes a little boy with barely any food, maybe enough for his lunch. And Jesus uses this as a story of multiplication. In verse 10, and Jesus said, make the men sit down, make the men sit down, all the reasoners, all the people that think they know the plan, what to do next, Make them sit down. Uh, now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people following one man or, and his disciples. Um, now there was, uh, or, or, sorry, so, so the men sat down and in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples uh, to them that sat down. And likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five. The fragments filled twelve baskets. That's amazing. Which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men that... Uh, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, uh, did said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. This was a faith-building moment for the disciples. This was a faith-building moment for the, the people in the, the crowd. When you have a crowd like that, maybe not all 5,000 understood what was happening, but a lot of them saw something was happening. There's probably murmurings. There's probably sounds and noises and people talking and things, rumors going on. A lot spreads through a crowd quickly. Um, and so it was a chance to teach them about faith. But the Great Commission, 
Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus talked quite a bit about growth. Uh, imagine a field. Imagine a field. It's full of crops. This is a good time of year to imagine because you don't even have to imagine. You can just look out there. Uh, we were passing the corn crops the other day, and it made me just brought back all the nostalgia of those uh, those um, wagon rides through the cornfields and all that stuff. Um, but imagine a field that's full of crops, wheat, corn, whatever you can imagine. You either see a healthy growing field or a dying field. But if you look closer, a lot of things are not as they appear to be. Um, you may see a fairly healthy field uh, on the surface, but if you look closer, you might see individual stalks, individual plants either growing or dying. And if you look at a dead field, I guarantee you're going to look close and you're not going to see growth. You're going to see dead, dying individual plants. But um, the health of the church as a whole is dependent on the health of its individuals, its individual members. If you're not healthy today, spiritually, emotionally, physically, all those things, it affects the body of Christ. We can look at the body of Christ and see that we're not as healthy as we need to be. And so it, it is a, it's a body, but it's made up of individuals and their, their condition of their heart, the condition of their, their spiritual life, all of those things. So um, look at a, a dying church, for instance, at a distance. And can you guarantee that many of its members individually are dying spiritually? Or you can guarantee uh, that many of its members are dying spiritually. It's sad. You've seen it. The lifespan of a church, sometimes it does not go as planned. And churches die off, and it's, it's just, it's really sad. I, I, uh, on a positive note, I, uh, we work with a client out of California, um, has a church called Connecting Point uh, Community, and uh, they have multiple campuses and all of this stuff. Well, a church of God, I believe it was church of God, a church in his area, lost the pastor. The pastor left, something happened, and the pastor left. And they were looking for a pastor, and the Church of God minister in that area that was over the whole region contacted this UPCI pastor and said, can you pastor this church while we're looking for a new pastor? And he said, sure, I'll pastor it. So he'd pastor his own church, then he'd go and he'd preach at another church, one of his own uh, daughter works, then he'd preach at another one, and he'd preach at another one, then he'd go and preach at the Church of God. And he did that for a while, and then another church lost its pastor, Church of God, and they said, well, I know it's maybe asking a lot, but do you mind just like also managing this church as well? So he went and he started pastoring that church. So now he's got his own church, he's got multiple daughter works, and he's pastoring multiple, I believe, Church of God churches in the area. Um, and then it just can continued, and I think 
part of it, and I, I forget what he had said was the reasoning behind it, but I think they were just like, there was a lot of good results coming from these Church of God churches that he was pastoring. And so uh, the regional director said, uh, I, we actually need someone in this part of the area to kind of manage all these churches. Uh, he was, I guess, getting overwhelmed, or maybe they had other like regions that they covered. He is now like a regional director in the Church of God going around preaching. He said, and he told them, he's like, I'm going to preach the truth. I'm going to preach what I preach at my churches. They said, that's fine. Uh, amazing. He's a very hard guy to get a hold of and schedule a meeting to talk about his website. But um, he needs multiple websites, so that's a, a big plus. Um, but you can, you can see that, and I, I believe we're, we're really starting to see that, especially, sadly, now, uh, after COVID, uh, Churches are dying off. There are a lot of churches, and I'm not necessarily, I'm not talking about UPCI churches because there are actually um, a lot of growth in, in our, our churches, the apostolic movement. But there are a lot of churches just in different areas of the country that are dropping in attendance very, very low. And it, it is sad to just see the overall loss of kind of spirituality in, in America. Um, but just to see, you know, Good meaning people uh, losing congregations like that, but if you look at the, di the you look on the whole of of what churches, if the health of a church, and you will see that in the individual members, they're they're either thriving or at least growing or they're dying, and it's a sad thing to see. Um, but look at look at thriving a thriving church, and I promise you, you'll see a healthy individual uh, individual walks with God. Now, I know it might not be perfect, but I do believe that you should be seeing growth. And I, I believe it is seen on the whole uh, of the body of Christ as well. So um, you can ask yourself this question today. How would you describe, and we're not asking for answers on this. How would you describe the health of Landmark? You can just kind of ponder that. What do you think that overall health is? Maybe it's like kind of we, we feel feel good. Maybe we could be a little better. Um whatever it is that you feel like the overall health is of the church. But then take that uh, kind of analysis of the body of Christ, turn that around on yourself and, and think, what does my own spiritual health look like? How would I describe my own spiritual health? And I guarantee you, you may see a correlation there. And if not in yourself, and maybe even just your outlook on the church may change. Or, or, or maybe different. If you imagine and think, am I spiritually healthy? Am I maybe not contributing like I should be? Am I maybe not like living up to my full potential of what God has called me to be? Am I coasting? Um, there's a lot of different places we could be spiritually um, and in our walk with God. And so take that, ascribe it to, uh, prescribe it to yourself, and then also look at the overall health of Landmark and where you see it. Um, there is uh, an interesting, really interesting book by Tom Rainer, and I read uh, his first book. It was called Simple Church, and it was just a very good book about, uh, you know, what successful or healthy churches, I should say, are doing that are growing and thriving and, and doing well. And then uh, after he had came out with that book, I believe he 
I believe that was the order. He came out with this book called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And we talked about this maybe once before, but I wanted to go through these um, and talk about some of the points of a deceased church. What, and, and so just to give a little backstory, what this guy Tom Rayner does is he, he goes and he looks, uh, talks to churches, evaluates where they're at, and then kind of tries to help them. So he's a little bit of like a consultant on just how to grow a healthy church. And so um, he works with churches. He asks them what they're doing. He talks about different things, and then he tries to help them. Um, and he has helped a lot of churches. He's helped them get, get out of a, a place where they've been declining, and then they start growing again. Um, and so in the, because he's done that so often, he has evaluated um, the key points that he sees. Now, this is not a definitive list, and not to say that this is even from the Bible, but this is just from his perspective of seeing churches, asking what they're doing, and all of that, and seeing what happens in these churches. So, autopsy of a deceased church, these are some of the points. Number one, the church refused to look like the community. Now, this isn't probably the way that you would think it is. Um, he's not saying that they refused to like dress like them, act like them, all of that, but refused to look like them. What does your community look like? And does your church reflect that? Uh, does your church reflect um, the diversity in your community? Does the church reflect uh, the, um, you know, the type of people that are from your community? If you're in a, uh, a, a poor community, do you have uh, lower income people in your church or is it wealthy people? And so that was kind of uh, one of the things. They refused to look like the community. They just, there was no real semblance of what the community looked like to the comparison of their church. So that was one. Number two, the church had no community-focused ministries. So obviously, uh, probably a correlation there, they had no community-focused ministries, so they didn't look anything like the community in terms of demographics and all of those things. So everything was inner-focused, not focused on things outward in the community. Um, number three, members became more focused on memorials. This is something that's tough. Um, you see this a lot because uh, we kind of get, we're, we're like the Israelites that we come out of Egypt and we take all of our stuff and we turn it into statues and we worship it. Um, we're focused so much on all these memorials and things. Uh, something amazing happens in the church 50 years ago and we just worship it like it's God or we, we celebrate it like it's Mother Mary. <laughs> Or we celebrate Mother Mary like she's God. Um, members become more focused on memorials. Number four, the percentage of the budget for members' needs kept increasing. That's a big one. Um, when you think of uh, being inward focused, uh, do all of our resources go to like helping us, building us up, doing, you know, doing things for us? And so that was another uh, percentage of the budget was for um, members' needs kept increasing. Um, there were no evangelistic emphasis, or there was no evangelistic emphasis, number, uh, number five. So nothing outside of the church. And you see a theme here. You see a theme of inward-focused churches and not outward-focused churches. Uh, so that's number five. There were no evangelist, there was no evangelistic emphasis Number six, the members had more and more arguments about what they wanted. 
sad, but um, that again, I, I mean, I think a lot of that's pride, kind of comes from a place of pride, feeling like the need to be right all the time. Members had more and more arguments about what they wanted. This is what I want. This is what I want to see. I wish the church would do this. This, you know, so that was the the focus. But again, going back to that inner focus, um, focusing on self over the needs of the community and all that. Um, number seven, with few exceptions, pastoral tenure uh, grew shorter and shorter. It's sad but true, and and we we see this um, in our own business. That's sad, but there's a lot of sometimes turnover in pastors and. You know, and I, I don't know, I, I can't speak to some churches and, and how that happens, um, but, you know, I, I, I think of something sometimes um, that I actually heard a story of a, a, someone that was called to go to missions, and some, uh, someone that knew this person said uh, they had been called to missions, and then, like, everybody had given all the money to them to go to missions, and then all of a sudden they... They switched gears and and went to pastor a church in the states, and then they were asking for money for that. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't I don't know. God may have just wanted them to be there for a short time. That's a, a possibility. But um, the fact that uh, does God change His mind sometimes like that? Yes, possible. Um, but when when you look at like shorter tenure, shorter and shorter tenure of pastors, you have to ask yourself the question. Is God the author of chaos and confusion? I don't believe he is. Um, it says he's not. Uh, and so should that be the case, and if that is the case, you're probably uh, looking at a, a dying church. Um, number eight is the church rarely prayed together. Thank God we, we even have Brother Ron. He helps lead us in that and keep that at the forefront of this church. I'm thankful for that. But rarely praying together, that's important. Uh, that's number eight. Uh, a church that prays together stays together. <laughs> had to say it. Um, number nine, uh, the church had no clarity as to why it existed. Now, I, I bet you, if you ask a lot of these people that are so self-focused in these churches, why does the church exist? Well, the church exists to meet my needs. Is <laughs> probably what, maybe in a roundabout way, what kind of answer you'd get. Um, but that's number nine. The church had no clarity as to why it existed. And, and that's, that's something that we've done in years past. And we need to, we're, we're trying to keep, keep going with that. But um, our, our theme or our uh, mission statement is to connect, equip, and go. And we're trying to kind of consolidate what we're doing into those things. So that we're connecting people with other and with God. That we're equipping you for your daily life and and for uh, the work of ministry, and then, of course, sending those out uh, to go into the world and make disciples. Um, number 10, the members idolized another era. And this is something that I think with our church now, it's a little different because um, there's, been a, there's a lot of people in the church here today that weren't necessarily in our old building uh, before when when the church had collapsed and we had the storm and all that. Um, but it could be really easy for us to get into that mindset of like living in the past. You know, and it's amazing what God did. And, and I think we can use that as that like fuel to our faith to say like, man, God did this in such a miraculous way. Like 
the fact that we got uh, $450,000 uh, for this uh, from that old building that was tiny and should not have given us that much for insurance. And then uh, the fact that uh, someone donated $50,000 additional to pay for this building, which was $500,000, which was appraised at like a million something. Those are faith-building moments. Those are amazing. But to like live in that era and just feel like that's like that's God did so much for us. We can just sit back now and relax and think about the goodness of God. There's so much work to be done. And this is the storehouse, and we know it, and we've we've heard that, and it's been prophesied and all those things. This is really just the beginning of what God is doing. And so, um, and then, uh, the, so the members idolized another era. And then finally, number 11, the facilities continued to deteriorate. Now, pastor would tell you that the facilities here are starting to deteriorate. Literally, the brick up in the, uh, needs to be tuck pointed. I don't even know what tuck pointing means, but it needs to be tuck pointed, and it does. Um, and that, that's the problem of having a building that was, built in the 70s. I think this was built in the 70s. That part of it was probably built in the 40s. So yeah, the building is deteriorating, but um, uh, that's because pastor didn't have enough time in the day, and a lot of us don't. But um, but that, that inward-focused attitude, it's like, it's, it all kind of stems from pride, and, um, and just living, you know, when you, when you look at your own life and you look at your own self and then you look at the health of the church you have to ask yourself is the church unhealthy because of me or is the health the church thriving and healthy because of me what i'm doing so look at my own spiritual health and not and and again you have to be you have to be good spiritually before i believe that you can really bless the church spiritually sometimes like from coming from a good place of uh, a good solid foundation of faith and, and spiritual health um but the, uh, the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, 1, 20 through 23, and I'm not going not gonna to talk much longer on this, but um, it says in Matthew 13, 1 through 23, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, and that he went into a ship and sat, and a whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went, to, went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some fe- uh, seeds fell, on, sell, fell by the wayside, and fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell uh, upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no uh, deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, uh, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples asked him, it came to him, Matthew thirteen ten. says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know, um, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. 
and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. This was a heart issue. Jesus needed to work on their hearts to help them see growth in their lives. Question three is, what is the condition of your heart currently? What is the condition of your heart? So what is the spiritual, what is the spiritual health of this church landmark? What is the spiritual health of me as an individual? But what more importantly is the spiritual health of my heart? And I think you can, you can analyze that when you react and respond to things. How did I respond to in a moment? Um, how did I respond to a situation? If it was negative, bitter, angry, upset, mad, frustrated, why didn't they consider me? Maybe we have a heart condition. Maybe there's something in our heart that we need to look at. It says in verse 18, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked ones come and snatch away that uh, uh, snatch away what was sown in the heart, in his heart. Uh, this is he who receives seed by the wayside. In 1 Corinthians 10.13 says there is a way of escape. There hath no temptation taken you by, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, be, but will with temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. We know in Matthew 6, 24, it says no man can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money or wealth. You can't serve all those things. You have to find the things that you will serve. Um, the seeds thrown in stony places or a hardened heart in verse 20 says, but he who received the seed in stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but only endures for a while. Uh, for when tri tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And so, if you have been, lived for God for any length of time, and if you have been through a lot of tough times, and if God has built your faith, thank God that he has rooted you and, and has given you a, a root system of strength that you can gather from. Um, but as we know, in, in those times where uh, fresh growth comes, we have to foster that. We have to help it. Um, there's going to be times where new people come into this church and they're filled with faith in, in a moment and then everything crashes on them. And we have to be there as the body of Christ to lift them up and encourage them and give them strength and give them encouragement and faith and say to them, God, God will do it. I know he will. And you may not know me very well, but God did it for me. God did this for me, and he will do it, I promise you, if you just keep trusting in him. And so strengthen that. Um, but I, I think through all of these scriptures, and we should, um, we should consider this. We should consider these passages of scripture as we go home tonight and think, God, where am I in my relationship with you? What is the condition of my heart? Do I, am I in a place where my heart is hardened and I'm bitter from a lot of old 
stuff that, that didn't go right. Um, I believe that right now God is, is trying to use some of us in this con- congregation today to do some things for God, and we're probably just bitter about old stuff. And, and we don't allow God to do what he needs to do in there. And, and then there, but there's others of us that um, are, are, you know, like that, receiving it with joy. We're excited. We receive it, but we maybe don't have the root system yet for it. And there's a lot of different, like, places that we could be in our condition of our heart, and we have to evaluate that. But that, I believe, in, in terms of a healthy, growing church, church that is fulfilling its purpose to go into all the world and preach the gospel, we have to evaluate ourselves before we start looking out on the crowd and saying, ah, this church is not healthy. What is, what is the health of my heart? What is the health of my spiritual life? And so in wrapping up tonight, um, question number four, what can you do to better fight pride in your life? First Corinthians 13, four through five says, charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemingly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. So all these things to keep in mind. Um, what is a better, uh, what can I better do to fight pride? What can I better do to fight pride in my life? I believe that connect groups help with that. I believe that connect groups are an important part of that because we see people from different perspectives than we come in here and see them. Um, we, we may walk in kind of frustrated getting our family to church and we just look at people from a distance and think, ah, they're always angry, they're always upset. Talk to them at a connect group, and I'll, I guarantee you you'll find they're going through a lot of the same stuff you're going through. Um, and so those kind of things, they help uh, fight pride in our lives. Um, and then finally, uh, seed among thorns. Now, uh, verse 22, now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Luke 12, 15 says, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And Matthew six nineteen through 21, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. So, hearing the word, uh, but, the, but it lands on thorny ground, is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. How many of you received promises from God that something was going to happen or, or that, or, or even maybe like when you first came to God and you started feeling like, or maybe that first time you felt a call to, to something, uh, to do something, but the cares of life just kind of overtake you. I was talking to someone today about things that we're doing at the church, you know, and, and I was talking about things, uh, I'm excited about this and this and this. And then I was like, yeah, I just, but... I really need to focus more on it because I just don't have time. There's so much things going on, work, and then there's, you know, all this stuff. And that's, that's what that is. That's the cares of life and maybe my focus on sometimes trying to take an extra side job or do something, you know, to try to help make more money to help our family. Things like that can, can really strip us of what God is calling us to do. And it, and it just... It delays it, and it takes a lot of time away from us, from uh, from the word of or from the work of God. Um, so, and then finally, seed on good ground. But he who, uh, verse twenty three. But he who receives seed on the 
good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. That's what we'd all like to be, and I think we should close on that. Um, that is the goal, to hear the word, have it be on good ground in our hearts, to understand it, and he indeed bears fruit and produces. So question number five, what can you do personally to help the church and others grow? What can you do personally? And I think a lot of it, as we, as we look at that and evaluate this passage of scripture, we're going to find that maybe the condition of my heart needs to change. Maybe I am bitter. Maybe I am upset and frustrated about past things. And maybe I need to change that. Um, and I believe that we have to ask ourselves, what can I do from this point? Maybe at first you have to start with yourself. What can I do personally to get myself right? Because maybe you can't help others until you get yourself right. And maybe you cause, we're going to cause more damage than you do good because you haven't worked on those things personally yet. But what can I do personally to help the church and others to grow? And that is the ultimate goal. Um, and then Psalms 19.14 says, let, this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in, the sight, in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And I think we should pray that tonight as we close, that God would, that let those words of my mouth, the, the condition and the meditations of my heart be acceptable unto you. Let's pray that together. Jesus, we thank you.